As we saw last week, the rest of the book of Romans is not so much about instruction as it is about information. Information of uh, events that were coming that are now long past, and we might well wonder, what's this have to do with us today? Uh, God's Word guarantees it has everything to do with us. This is information we need. This, is inst- this also includes instruction. Even while Paul is giving his, his travel plans, he's also admonishing. He's also uh, edifying. And all of that is available for us, as always, in the passage before us. Last week, I received a phone call from a friend who also is uh, uh, following very closely the situation of the Gibbons. His information flow, though, is pretty much limited to the reports that the Gibbons send out from time to time. Uh, Some of our missionaries send a letter every month, right on schedule. Others, uh, they're not quite on uh, on that sequence, and it's fine. That meets their own needs. And in this case, there was even a little longer delay as the Gibbons have been grappling with the uh, surprise situation they have faced in London when they arrived there this early summer. Well, this man had just heard about that because he received Clay's recent letter describing this upheaval to their church planting plans in London. And he was distraught on the phone. Uh, He said, how could this British pastor go back on his word like that? I just don't know how this could happen. Isn't there anything that we can do? Well, he was experiencing the same emotional response that we all faced a number of weeks earlier as we heard about all of this. And, and of course, actually pretty similar to what the Gibbons faced as well, as this was impacting them so uh, strongly. I assured him, though, that uh, it really seemed like Clay had explored all the possible avenues, and apparently this empty church building in a strategic location is now a closed door to them. We we can look at that situation and say, how distressing, Uh, like that like that friend, we could say, how could this happen? Who's in control of these kinds of things? Well, we, we get dismayed whenever things turn out different than what we were expecting or even different than we were planning. There, there was a plan that was going into the Gibbons arrangements all this past year because they had this assurance they, they would have this building available. And sometimes our disappointments descend all the way down to despair. Like, where do we go from here? What's the next step? It just doesn't seem to be clear. Part of that stems from our assumption that our plan 
is the best available option. Our passage today, though, assures us that's not a valid assumption. Whenever things turn out different from what we were planning, it's because there's a better plan in play. That better plan is God's plan. And his plan has the distinct advantage of always being the one that happens. There are never any exceptions to that. So how can that be? How can God's plan always work? Well, it's the amazing combination of having his wisdom and his power. Those two working together are what guarantee that what happens is always his plan and that his plan is always best. That truth about God is supposed to change how we think about disappointing news. How we respond when things don't turn out the way we expect. This passage, we can summarize its truth this way. The Lord is sovereign over every aspect of life. Everything that happens in your life, the life of your friends, your family, he's sovereign over all of that. And there is only one right, God-honoring response to that truth, and that is to submit to God's plan every time. Our goal, actually, ought to be to submit to his plan sooner and sooner with every new experience, have a shorter and shorter period of dismay to the point where when God's plan happens and the instinctive response is, oh no, that instead we have such victory over that wrong response that we get closer to something like, oh, good. That means God has a better plan than what I had. I thought mine was pretty good. His is better. I'm all for it. What a great victory that would be. Paul's Paul's going to encourage us in that direction in our passage today. Uh, Beginning in verse 22, uh, he urges here, submit your plans to God's will. That is, anticipate that the plans you have, as good as they might be, that God might have a different one. That might already help eliminate some of the shock that we experience when things don't turn out our way. I'll make a plan, but... I know that God might change it. And if he changes it, it's because his is better than mine. Submit your plans to God's will. Paul had to do that. We're going to see several different phrases underscore that, that that really has been the experience of his life and of his ministry. So he begins in verse 22 explaining Uh, that this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. 
There's the first expression of it. I have so often been hindered. That is, Paul had plans, and they didn't work. Realize that even an apostle, even in the first century, Paul, who had insight, who had even uh, instances, many instances where God was giving him uh, information about the future, but when it came to Paul's own plans, he was operating much as we do. He would make a plan, and then it didn't work. So often hindered. Now, he says this is the reason. He's referring to something he's already said. It was at, at the last part of our passage from last week, uh, back uh, second part of verse 19 of this chapter, he, he explains that my ministry has been going from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum. Uh, we saw last week, that's Jerusalem in the east, the far east uh, uh, in his ministry. We call it the Middle East today. And all through uh, Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, into Greece, and even further west than that. Illyricum is on that uh, eastern shore of the Aegean Sea, current Bosnia, uh, uh, other uh, countries right in that area today. So that's what his ministry has been. And he's, he's telling us now, and that's why I, didn't, I wasn't allowed to come to Rome. I hadn't finished God's assignment in the eastern part of the Roman Empire yet. And that reminds us that the Lord controls your long-term plans. Paul knew he had an assignment to do in the east. He didn't know how extensive it was. He didn't know how long it was going to take. He may not even have known how far he was going to travel as he circled and eventually got as far as Illyricum. But God knew. God controls our long-term plans. And we wouldn't want it any other way. He decides ministry duration. Paul had to submit to that. God's priority for Paul? Explore all the unevangelized regions between Jerusalem and and Illyricum, and establish a church in each of those regions. Paul didn't personally cover all the towns and even all the cities within those regions, but establishing at least one church in each region, that church then he could leave to cover the rest of that territory. God decides the duration. He decides how long you will be where you are right now. He decides where you're going to go next, whether that's a move across the street or across town to a different part of the country. He may even have plans for a different part of the world for you. He knows. He decides. That's his responsibility. Verses 23 and 24 actually get more into this idea of ministry location. 
Paul says, now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, there aren't any longer from Illyricum eastward, there aren't any more major territories where there isn't already a gospel witness. Paul's assignment was to be a pioneer missionary, to go where the gospel hasn't gone yet. And as he assesses, as he looks at what map he may have had, what he knows of the world at that time, he can honestly say, I don't have room for that kind of work in these regions anymore. And since I have longed for many years, there's our second indication that Paul was experiencing real life like we do. There's things that you are longing for, expecting, perhaps, still haven't happened. Paul knew what that was like. But since I have longed for many years to come to you, he can now say, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. But even still, he has to say, I hope. He doesn't know what the future is going to be. This long-term plan is still vague. But I hope, he can say. It's okay to hope. It's okay to plan. But submit that hope to God's plan. Submit your plan to his will. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Now, why only in passing? Isn't there uh, some evangelistic opportunity in the Rome area? Well, sure, they have plenty of unsaved people still. Other people need to come to Christ. But you see, there's already a church there. It's not a church Paul started. Somebody else got there. Somebody else preached the gospel, saw some people come to Christ. And there's a thriving work, the recipients of this letter, the first recipients. We are the current recipients. So it's only in passing that he's going to be in Rome. His responsibility, his overall ministry assignment, go where the gospel hasn't gone yet. And in Paul's perspective, the next one up is Spain. No gospel ministry there yet. Wide open door. That's where I'm planning to go. I hope to see you, though, in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you. That's actually uh, uh, practically a, a, a technical phrase for I'm hoping you're going to give me financial support to make this possible. He's giving them a heads up. And by so doing, he's endorsing what we currently use as our missions model. Uh, we, We invite someone to come to our church, present the burden God has for a particular place of service, and And if we find that everything is in order and they are in agreement with our convictions about God's word, then we provide financial support to enable them to do that. 
Paul has other churches that are eager to help him, but he wants Rome to be a part of that. They're his stepping stone. They'll be his closest resource once he moves on to Spain. So I hope to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. You see, that's part of our mission endeavor. That those that come, whether it's for the first time or they circle back around and they give a report of how God has used them, part of our goal, our duty, is to encourage them to help meet their needs, to help them know that they are special to us for their service in the Lord. So Paul is anticipating enjoying that company. So this is all the future, and God can move Paul all the way to Spain if that's what he wants, and Paul is ready to submit to God's plan. Verses 25 through 29, Paul moves on to the aspect of short-term plans. For these, we get more specific We have more detailed ideas of how this would transpire at a sequence of events and how this would work out the best. So this is actually the part that really strikes home. Here's the part where our plans are focused, and we're counting on this working out. Long-term plans, we understand. There is a greater degree of uncertainty there. But we like these short-term plans to work. But even God, uh, even these, God controls. Verse 25, he says, at present, right up till now. uh, And at present, Paul was on the tail end of his third missionary journey. He's currently in Corinth, writing this book. And he's going to circle back through Greece and then uh, uh, eventually uh, get on board a ship and go back to Jerusalem, as he describes here. So at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Well, all right, you have a picture in your mind of the map. Paul's goal is to go west, but step one is go east. It's the way sometimes uh, 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 flight itineraries work in our day. We're going one direction, you have to zigzag a few times before you finally get to go the right way. Uh, Paul's got a major zigzag coming up here. But you see, it's God's plan for his short term. He's on the way all the way back to his starting point in Jerusalem. Why is he doing that? Well, part of God's plan is that he is directing gospel connections. Paul has had a lot to say in the book of Romans about Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian connections. And that is because Jews and Gentiles had next to nothing to do with themselves in the larger outside world. Uh, 
The Jews were ostracized from the Gentiles, and, and to be honest, the, Gen- the Jews liked that best. They liked being off on their own where nobody bothers them and just let them do their thing. But you see, that couldn't continue in the church. There's a connection between all of God's people. And a huge part of Paul's ministry was that he is the apostle to the Gentiles, and that sits so well with a lot of the Jewish Christians, especially those back in Jerusalem. It's okay for Gentiles to get saved, I guess, would be their attitude, but don't expect us to like that, and don't expect us to be overly zealous in giving them a part in our church family. Romans has made it clear that cannot continue. And it continues to be, though, especially back in Jerusalem, to be an obstacle to the level of church unity that God wanted. Well, there's no one quite as well equipped to draw these sides together than the apostle to the Gentiles. Thoroughly Jewish on the one hand, but also just passionate about the salvation of Gentiles. And so here is like his capstone to his Eastern Empire ministry. He needs to bring this aid to the saints. He's going to tell us more about this here and then even in the latter part of this passage Uh, But God is here directing gospel connections, and that may be an explanation for a lot of the zigzags that it seems that God's plan is taking. Those zigzags might be for God to draw this and this together, to give you contacts here and then somewhere else and use you to help establish gospel connections. So he explains in this case, in verse 26, that Macedonia and Achaia, that's modern-day Greece, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting that this word uh, contribution, a, a single English word, Uh, indicating uh, that is often elsewhere translated fellowship. A connection together. And so that this very offering that Paul is going to deliver to Jerusalem is designed to promote fellowship, connection, facilitating a mutual beneficial gospel partnership between the Gentiles and the Jews. And this comes, he says, specifically for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Well, that brings up an interesting point because Paul addresses the same offering in the book of 2 Corinthians and he indicates there that among those giving for this special offering for the poor in Jerusalem were some very poor Gentile believers in Greece. They were giving out of their extreme poverty. I mean, 
The reality is they had their own poor that they uh, needed to help. Why are the poor in Jerusalem getting this offering? Paul helps us understand that in verse 27. He says, for they were pleased to do it. They wanted to. And indeed, they owe it to them. Now, let's just take a brief time out. The combination of those two features is at work every time we give in the offering to God. We do so because we want to. It pleased them, Paul can say. But at the same time, we give because we ought to. Those two get emphasis often in God's word. And they're both at work here in this offering. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. In what way do the Gentile believers in Greece owe this to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem? He says, well, if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, okay, Romans 9, 10, and 11 made that clear. All of us Gentiles are sharing in spiritual blessings that God originally promised to the Jews. And that we are the beneficiaries of that places us under obligation. He says, therefore, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. All right, it's not that the poor people in Jerusalem were more important than the poor in Greece. It's that there was a special need to draw together Gentile believers and Jewish believers, one sharing spiritual blessings, the other responding with material blessings. And for in the giving and in the receiving of this gift to acknowledge this gospel connection. That's why Paul has to go to Jerusalem, way out of his way. But this is important. This ministry At the same time, God, in controlling your short-term plans, is directing gospel advancement. Paul is not just going to live the rest of his life in Jerusalem. God has more for him to do. So he explains, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected. Delivered what has been collected. This deliverance uh, actually uh, has kind of a colorful uh, original, as Paul said it. He said this, once I have sealed this fruit to them. This is more than, here's the money. This is, this represents the the. Uh, the, the joy and the obligation of Gentiles acknowledging all you, you Jews have provided for us and we want to be a blessing to you because this represents a connection. 
sealed to them this fruit. You see how that highlights. Paul's not there just to write a check or hand over cash. He's there to seal something, strengthening the solidarity of Jews and Gentiles. When I have done that, that capstone to his ministry, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And now Paul says something remarkable. For all the aspects of the future that he doesn't know, all the times he's been disappointed, now having related his latest plan, he tells us something he knows for sure. The next verse, verse 29, says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, Paul has a good plan. And we're going to see he, he recognizes as good a plan as this is, there are a lot of obstacles in the way. And he's still acknowledging, I don't know how it's all going to turn out. But however it turns out, whether my plan or God's better plan, I know I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul could only say that because his plans, he submitted to God's plan. You choose to do that. You're not taking a chance. You are guaranteeing success. The fullness of the blessing of Christ is his complete provision of grace for everything you need to sustain you and bring you to his good goal. You believe he can do that? That's something we know. We've had some uncertainties, unexpected things, even in our building program. We haven't even started building yet. But just a few months ago, we, uh, we have a neighbor who has a sewer line connection that we need to get to. And we found out that he needs something from us. We had this arrangement that uh, you'll give us an easement to get to that sewer line, and we'll give you an easement to maintain a little bit of your parking space on our property. What a great deal. So we drew up all the plans and had the, the legal papers ready and said, here, uh, ready for your signature. And that's when we heard earlier this summer, oh, but wait. My property is for sale, and now there's a buyer. So we can't sign anything. We have to see how this turns out. Okay, so we waited a while, and then that buyer changed his mind. Oh, good. Oh, no, now there's another buyer that wants it. Well, it sure seems to me it would be better if God would just let us have that easement. Let's be done with it. But somehow... God has a better plan. I can't anticipate what that's going to look like. But we know, however this turns out, we will face the fullness of the blessing of Christ. All right, that's true for you too. 
That's true in your circumstances. Plenty of disappointments available, but let's put a new perspective on that. A, a, job, a new job fell through? God must have a better plan. A medical test that causes real concern? He's got a plan for that, too. An unexpected bill? Where is the money for that going to come from? He's got a plan. Now, we do have one way to influence the future. How this all works out. But even that comes with a caution. That one way to influence the future is prayer. Verses 30 to 33 say, submit your prayers to God's will as well. Expect God to listen to what you say. Paul here is exhorting earnest prayer. Pray earnestly for me, he says. I just told you my short-term plans, but I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Paul's really taking this prayer thing seriously. By the authority of Christ, I appeal to you, I exhort you, join me in prayer. By the love of the Spirit, the Spirit has placed love in your heart for other believers and for me, Paul says. And on, the, on those bases, I implore you to join me in prayer. Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Pray earnestly. Verse 31, he says, pray specifically. Here's what I want you to pray. For this plan to go to Jerusalem, there are definitely some obstacles. So pray that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. This would be the unbelieving Jews that now years later are still bitter that Paul turned to Christ. He was on their side. Now in their perspective, he's on the enemy's side. They would love to put him to death. Their goal is nothing short of that and has been for a long time. So pray that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. This is their territory. I'm venturing into dangerous ground. Would you pray for me? But the challenge isn't just external in the world. Would that that was all we had to be concerned about. But there are internal challenges as well within the church. His second specific request, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That is that, first of all, they'll accept this contribution from the Gentile Christians. And yes, there was a danger. They'd say, no, our our need is desperate, but no, we don't want that gospel connection. There was actually a sizable faction of Jews in Israel 
back in the 1950s when Germany wanted to offer them reparations for the Holocaust. And there was a major faction in Israel that said, no, we don't want your money. You can't pay us for that. There is no way you can repay that debt. But the, the, the ruling uh, government was just barely able to prevail because the need for the money was desperate. And they eventually accepted it. They could have rejected this, or they could have said, we'll take your money, but we're not going to accept you. That's failure. Pray that this will be acceptable to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Paul could take nothing for granted here. Pray for ministry success, for victory. That's the nature of ministry among ourselves today. There's a natural resistance to getting help from somebody else. We like to think, I don't need that. I'm good. I can handle it. God has determined we need each other. The connections that we foster here aren't just nice. They are necessary. Expect the Lord to listen to that prayer. Verses 32 and 33, expect the Lord to answer But the caveat here is expect him to answer his way, which might not be the same as yours. Paul anticipates an answer, but he anticipates that God in his answer will fulfill his own plan. Notice how he brings that in in verse 32. The result of this earnest prayer support will be that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. By God's will. He still doesn't know how this might work out. Pray that I'll be delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem. How'd that work out? They actually attacked him in the temple. While Paul was in the act of worshiping God, they were beating Paul, a huge commotion, when the Roman uh, uh, soldiers noticed what was going on down below and ran down and hauled Paul away from them, thinking this is some terrible criminal, we need to investigate why are they so against him. Paul was only saved from death by the Romans. And what did the Romans do with him? Well, they were about to uh, torture him to find out what he did wrong. Paul just barely got out of that and ended up in prison for the next two years. Paul's goal was to get to Rome and then go on from there to Spain. He was anticipating paying a, uh, the, the, the fare on board ship. Turns out, the Romans as took him as a prisoner on board a ship and transported him to their prison in Rome. Hey, he made it to Rome. But none of it worked out the way he expected. 
it worked out better. Not better for Paul's convenience, better for God's purpose. We don't know if Paul ever made it to Spain. We think he probably did. He seemed to be pretty convinced he was the one that needed to do that. But we have no record of it. What we do have record of is that God accomplished his purpose. And by the will of God, verse 32, he came to them and he did enjoy their company. They could come and he had a rented house where he was still chained up, but it was, it was a house and his guests could come and visit him. The Roman believers did that. And Paul found joy and refreshment because God will fulfill his plan. Finally, in verse 33, he will bestow his grace. However things work out, Paul can say, may the God of peace be with you all. God's plan is that even if his plan is different from your plan, you can have the full uh, contingent of peace, well-being, a sense of confidence in God, fullness of joy, replacing what ordinarily would be bitter disappointment. If you'll submit to God's plan, you'll submit your, your, even your prayers to God's plan. He promises his peace. Your plan can't achieve that. Your plan might be nice. God's plan is better. Don't forget that Christ, when he taught us to pray, he gave us this pattern to follow. Early in that prayer, he said, now don't forget this part. Your will be done. Yeah, even when you're praying, your will be done. Don't forget that when you pray. You start praying for all the things that are coming your way this week. God, here's what I'd like to see you do. Would you do this, this, and this? We all have a nice list, don't we? But what I really want is what you want. That's our prayer on Wednesday when we gather together. I urge you to join us for that. Submissive prayer always succeeds in sustaining God's people. The God with enough power to fulfill his plan in your life also has the power to change your heart, to change your mind, to really believe his plan is better. Let's ask him to forgive our confidence in ourselves. Ask him to help you trust his greater wisdom and his better plan. Let's bow for prayer.
Father, we acknowledge that your wisdom far exceeds ours, and therefore your plan is better. Thank you for the assurance that because of your great power that everything that happens is exactly what you planned. So, Father, help us to submit to that plan. Help us to rejoice that it's actually better than our own. Father, help us to be useful in your hands to accomplish your purpose. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.